0: Welcome to another episode of Campus Life, the college half of our flagship podcast here at Campus DeCanton, continuing our conference preview series. As always, I am Austin. And this is Colin. We're moving on. We are getting to the halfway point here uh, of getting our conference close. preview shows. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're inching closer. We're covering the Mac tonight. We're, we're doing some action midweek. I only felt right to record this here on a Thursday night um one of the most fun conferences in the country and it's probably it's funny because i think they've done an excellent job uh, amongst all of this shifting landscape uh, out there of keeping their conference relevant by kind of nailing and really owning that middle of the week those tuesday wednesday thursday games uh once the conference season rolls around late october through december so uh the mac probably not the greatest quality football as we're going to highlight in some of our uh data here tonight but uh overall a fun conference a conference that doesn't play a lot of defense and so there are certainly some players for your c2c rosters that you want to be finding here across these schools
1: yeah i have a soft spot for the mac i mean like you said they the fact that they're midweek they give you football on tuesdays and wednesdays like once you get into the season and that's just that's good people good good people to the earth yeah and they don't play defense. It's a lot of high-scoring games. It's a lot of fun. It's not great football overall, but it's fun to watch. And like you said, they kept the, the whole conference together. They're like, uh, they're they're like that plucky band of of guys. They just stick together for forever. They're, they're very loyal and love it.
0: I mean, I honestly looking at across these teams, like I'm not sure what other conferences these guys would go to. Like I don't think a lot of these schools are. Super attractive from an athletic standpoint, but overall, you know, on the grand scheme of things. And I coming from a place of ignorance, I legitimately do not know. I don't believe any of these schools are like elite academic institutions that anybody would be jumping at either. I'm not saying they're all West Virginia, but I, I don't know. I legitimately don't know. Maybe they're all top fifty. I I, I don't think so. So you know, I don't know that there's a, a a draw to any of these schools really, but that's what makes them all perfect for each other. That they're kind of just mid at everything. That's why they're in the Mid American Conference.
1: I guess I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, Toledo is the warbler capital of the world, so maybe they have a wow. good uh, nice little aviary there and like huh. a good some sort of a, aviary studies. I don't know. Why do you know that? Uh, what's it? ornithology? That's birds. So They have a good ornithology program. Well, why do I know that that's why the do warbler you know that? Capital yeah, of the the world. Um, so we were coming back from our honeymoon in Costa Rica uh-huh. and we saw a guy wearing a t shirt and it said, I birded the warbler capital of the world. And we're like, You're just curious. We were sitting in an airport for like three hours. So oh, we you're that guy in the airport. We looked it up and uh, oh, yeah, you didn't was... ask him? No, 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 I didn't. Okay, ask okay. I thought we you were just said do... you asked him. I was like, Oh, god. oh god, god no, no. come on, no, 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 no. Um, so we just looked, we googled it and it was Toledo Ohio it was like never would have thought that that was the warbler
2: capital of the world oh,
0: well there we go I, did, I learned something today thank you Colin for for feeding me that tidbit uh okay. before before we jump into our interview and we'll we'll talk about that here in a second just a couple of reminders head on over to campusdecanton.com our parent website um we're ramping up the season we, we're having meetings we're, we got sign up sheets out there we're getting all set up. A couple of reminders, and we'll as we get closer to the season, we'll continue to remind you, and we'll get into more specifics about what to expect uh, on other shows during the week and written content and all all the other offerings we're going to have. But our two Saturday shows are really the two things that we want to highlight, so you make sure you're saving the date now. Starting week zero, we're going to have two shows every Saturday, as we have the past two years. The Tailgate in the Morning kicks off at 10 a.m. Eastern. That show is live, and it is... Start sits injury news as it rolls in prize picks plays um, and some other little tidbits as well. Uh, usually, you know, four or five, six of us on that show. Always a good time. And then at night, we're still discussing timing, but it sounds like it's going to be a little earlier this year—not 11:30 uh, or midnight like it has been in the past. We recap the day on college fantasy tonight. So a sports center style show hosted by Felix Sharp. So save some space in your calendars. You know, clear clear up some space. We'll be doing those um, home field apparel. Go ahead over to Home Field Apparel. Start getting your gear ready. Got to be ready for game day. They Campus released.
1: They released a bunch of new stuff for uh, for some big schools. I think Michigan was in there. They've been um, releasing
0: like three things a week, yeah. like doing like three releases a week. Yeah, they did some new pit stuff. I, I know for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a ton of cool stuff always yeah. going on over there. So yeah, I think North Texas was a new one, or is is upcoming. Mm-hmm. Um, their stuff look cool. I think Oklahoma State might have been one too. I just remember seeing a lot of guns um uh, could that could be would, yeah. i think that was Oklahoma. State. could be that <laughs> or texas
1: tech yeah. or maybe red raider i don't know
0: Gotta be one of them um yep. yeah so go ahead camp, uh, promo code campus to canton get you 15 off your order over there for first time using an email so we're not saying we're not saying do go create a bunch of additional emails to buy a bunch of extra stuff but we're not not saying it uh, and we're
1: we're definitely not it. not doing
0: it Yes. Yes. Um, too many. I'm just confused as to what we are not and are doing. Um, and then lastly, guys, we did release the, uh, CFB winning edge, uh, now officially the C2C winning edge package over at campus to Canton. Uh, if you're familiar with Nick's work, CFB winning edge over the past, uh, five plus years on Patreon, going to be the same exact offerings over at campus to Canton with Potentially a few new items sprinkled in there mm-hmm. um so you can go ahead and get that membership over on our site it is uh you can do it monthly 14.99 a month or you can do it for a year 149.99 um if you are betting or if you're playing any sort if you just want kind of the most up-to-date uh depth charts out there you can find then it's just 100 the place to find yeah. them so um go ahead do that you can combine it with one of with some of our memberships you can get it separately um, so, you know, uh, feel free to, to mix and match there, uh, as well. But we're very, very excited about that. Um, and we're going to use some of his, uh, data here tonight during the show. So without further ado, we are doing our, uh, during each of these conference previews, we are talking to a new content creator in the college football space. We've had a bunch of really good conversations so far. Some with people we've known for, for years and some with people that we've just met, um, and, and they've all been great. Tonight we have uh, CFF Lists is actually joining us at CFF Lists on Twitter. They produce um, a ton of. If you you will recognize the visuals, the graphics, as soon as you see them on Twitter, do a ton of different player profiles and rankings and all of those kinds of things. Uh, hence their name. We sat down with Jeremy Miller from there to discuss uh, the three big questions and just how they kind of got into content creation because I think they've been they've been playing college fantasy. For a very long time so an interesting story there so here's our interview with cff lists all right guys for this week we are joined by jeremy miller from at cff lists um a a an account that i've been following for at least a year now um love all the different cff content that you guys have over there jeremy uh how's it going thanks for hopping on here for a few minutes to talk about everything that you guys do Uh, with cff lists
2: yeah everything's going great um you know uh we just actually i'm really relieved at this point we just finished our final rankings that uh, we've been releasing kind of on a daily basis for the past month kind of position by position and conference by conference you know that helps us kind of break it down to go you know by conference within the positions and it's always like uh, a really big weight off your shoulders when you drop those last few capsules on the players so you know, we finished with kickers on Tuesday. Uh, you know, here we are on Thursday. So, you know, just uh, a lot lighter now can kind of look and it's, it's fun digging into it. But then you just realize, wow, we've got three more weeks of just like writing every single day. So uh, it's kind of fun now that it's out to sit back, do some more reevaluating, just tweet fun stuff, you know, that's not so meticulous.
0: You mean like a certain quote about Raheem Sanders, that that kind of yeah, fun yeah, stuff? Yeah,
2: yeah, like, What's funny is, uh, you know, you put all this work into, like, you know, doing, you know, 120 different player capsules over the last month, and, you know, suddenly we, we uh, captured the video of Coach Pittman Uh, talking about Raheem Sanders being up to 242 pounds this morning. And it's probably three times bigger than any tweet we've ever put out from our own content, uh, simply because, uh, you know, we found it on Instagram and saw that nobody had put it out on Twitter and kind of jumped on that as like a nice fun fact, since he's our, you know, running back one in CFF this year. And, um, you know, thought that was really eye opening that he was up to 242. And, uh, you know it's up to like thirty thousand views and seems to be gaining you know more every hour. so it's pretty crazy. Going
1: it's viral. always amazing what what ends up going viral? you know you put all the right. work into uh, into these lists and into your graphics and into your rankings and right. one random right. tweet can can give be what goes viral
2: yeah, 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 but it feels good. I mean it's it's more eyeballs in the account. we got you know just a ha- you know handful of new followers today, which is always cool because you know you you do it for fun i think we all get into cff like the the deep nuts and bolts of the cff stuff because we're all just like fantasy nerds you know at the highest degree uh, especially those putting out content every day like we are um you know so you, you you would do it anyways is what i the way i my philosophy is i would be doing this at home for myself so like why not you know share it with the world if if they find it meaningful great and so far they have so like in the past year we just joined Twitter last year. We started on Instagram and thought we'd kind of be the voice of CFF on Instagram. But, you know, it's, it's there's just not as many people interested over there. So we, we quickly doubled our size when we made the move to Twitter last year. Um, and then we got really a more appropriate name. We came over as like CFF on IG thinking Instagram will be, you know, the home base. And we push everybody there. Uh, but kind of pivoted and said, look, what are we really good at? What are we doing all the time? You know, we're constantly putting out lists. So let's just really make it more clear cut what we are. And we we changed the name to CFF Lists. And, uh, you know, it can't be more straightforward than that. Like, you know, I, lo- I love lists naturally and anything. I have a spreadsheet of every TV show I've ever watched with a rating for it. So, you know, like lists are my thing. Yeah, I love them. I love Everybody loves lists. I love that. And note, <laughs> yeah, yeah, note yeah. for
0: note for other people out there listening who are thinking about getting into the content game, you can try a bunch of different things before you find one that ends up kind of, you know, building and taking off. If people saw all the things we try behind
2: the scenes, uh, yeah, don't work yeah. out. Yeah, you guys do a great job, by the way. I, you know, I really got a lot more familiar with you guys once we moved to Twitter and, and hadn't heard as much, you know, about you guys, but, you know, really love the concept and, you know, we're really just CFF diehards who made kind of that natural transition from years and years of, you know, playing uh, NFL fantasy since we were, you know, high school kids in 1989, doing it by hand for years. And, um, you know, just made the transition in 08 to to college. And, um, you know, it's it's, – a lot of people say it, but, like, once you get into CFF, like, you know, it actually, you know, really takes over priority versus your NFL leagues. Uh, But the fact that you guys are kind of found a a fun way to blend the two and – you know, kind of put a stamp on, on, you know, having the, the two different teams, one in college, one in the NFL, uh, even giving it a name. You know, besides, you know, there was Devi, but like there really wasn't, you know, a campus to Kent, uh, which is something brand new and unique. So, yeah, congratulations to you guys. It's fun to see you guys grow. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Um, well, while we have you here, yep. we might as well ask you our three big questions. We've been asking everybody and for anybody out there who needs a refresher. We're asking yep. a player that you think is going to help their stock the most this year, player that's going to hurt their stock yep. the most this year, and then your hottest, boldest take for 2023. So let's kick right off with that stock yep. up question. Who, who do you see uh, improving their stock this year?
2: Yeah, so you know, we've, we've mentioned this a few times, and uh, we're, we're really sticking with the Hudson card. Um, you know, we've kind of championed him as – you know, a guy that uh, he might not be, you know, a top 15 or even a top 20 guy, but we we think he's, you know, worthy of kind of top 36, which makes him like a, a very good quarterback three option that could work his way into, you know, a starting role, like getting into that top 24 quarterback status, you know, within CFF leagues. Um, you know, obviously Brome left Purdue, but like we looked at a few factors. Um, you know, one, you know, as soon as he transferred there, uh, he had an exceptional spring from everything we saw. We, we saw a lot of quotes from, you know, coaches, um, you know, about him and how he came in and was instantly a leader um, and, and really, you know, from a, a, a function standpoint, really stood out in the spring in terms of what he was capable of, which I think everybody assumed he could do at Texas, but honestly probably wasn't given a fair shot. Um, so, you know, I think it was a great move for him Uh and even though brome has gone, you know, and people are thinking, well, you're crazy, brome has gone, they're not even going to be passing. Like, that's not true either. You know, they've got Graham Harrell there, and, uh, you know, he's finished in the top 21 in passing, you know, uh, I guess over at USC in North Texas and the places he was at before West Virginia last year, which we're kind of throwing out the window. Uh, but, you know, he's, he's routinely, you know, got, uh, you know, teams in the top 20 in passing. So, you know, we expect that to continue at Purdue as far as a style of offense. Uh, and the last thing is we we saw he's going to be protected very well. He's got you know quite a few returning O-linemen and it's not kind of your, well, they're O-linemen that did a bad job. It's, it's returning O-linemen who, uh, didn't give up that many sacks last year. So, you know, he's not going to be constantly under pressure. He's going to have time to do the things that we think he's capable of. And, um, you know, really we'll see a big jump for him.
1: I mean, I love that. That is – uh that's music to my ears. I've been, been talking about Hudson Card for, for a couple of years now. And, we, right. like you said, we just – we never really saw it at Texas. I mean, he, he got some starts here and there. Uh, right. When they brought in Quinn Ewers last year, though, the writing was kind of on the wall. Um, right. But I, I do think that, you know, he's got a good opportunity there at Purdue. And he offers us something with his legs, too, which I think is going to help, uh, help keep that floor nice, nice and high. Right,
2: right, right. Yeah, and we're not even necessarily saying he's going to be the best real-life quarterback. Like, you know, we're, we're judging this from, like, a CFF standpoint. And the system's going to play that combination of talent and the system that's really going to make him stand out and take that big leap.
1: I love it, love it. So, uh, you know, you're, you're talking up my guy Hudson Card. Is the stock up? Uh, who do you have here as a guy who might hurt their stock the most this year? Um,
2: here we almost went with Spencer Sanders because we just don't know what that decision was all about. Um, unless he just had big issues with the coaches, but then why do you pick Ole Miss? You know, with what you know, when you're not even, it's not even clear. You don't know, but we're actually we're skipping him. I did want to get that mention in though. Ali Jennings. Um, last year's number five wide receiver overall with 22 points a game. I mean, again, real life, you know, he could potentially help his stock because he's, he's moving up into a, a power five conference. So he's going to showcase his skills against a much higher level of talent. And we're not saying the talent personally isn't there for him. Again, we're really judging from a fantasy perspective in terms of who's going to lose the stock. And the fact that he chose Virginia tech Uh, you know, their, their top receivers had 37 and 30 catches last year, the year before it was 44 and 40. So, uh, we don't really see how that's going to improve. There weren't any significant coaching changes. Um, the quarterbacks there are uh, kind of questionable at best, uh, with Grant Wells, who had come over from Marshall and see problems at Marshall and last year at Virginia tech, um, and, and, you know, he, he's got a little pressure to keep that job, but like we don't necessarily see a big improvement even if it's not Grant Wells. So we're just not sure, you know, what, uh, you know, Ollie Jennings is going to turn into this year. And I think everybody else agrees we're seeing him go at, I think, uh, ADP of 266. And you're talking about the guy who was the number five college fantasy receiver last year. So he, he's not even being drafted in the top 20 rounds this year.
0: That's crazy. And I, I haven't thought about him a single time this offseason, no. honestly. yeah. yeah.
2: But he was number. The only time we thought about him, John or uh, Jared had like a draft in January, the way too early mock draft, and I think we took him then just because he was like the top rated guy coming back. Like, wow, let's just take him. Like, you know, how bad can he be? But the more you thought about it, it's like, well, he really could be bad because they're not, they're just not very efficient when it comes to passing and what, what you know, they're going to do to get him the ball. I don't know.
0: Really does make you wonder what some of these guys are thinking. When they enter the transfer portal, Sanders as well is another, you know, like you said, odd one. Yeah. Yeah.
2: They're not thinking of us, that's for sure. You know, but you know,
0: (laughs) how dare they? How dare they? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we've got your stock up, we've got your stock down. Yep. Let's hear your spicy take for 2023.
2: Yeah, and we're we're not the spicy take account, but you know we we found that you know we put out polls with every one of our kind of positional conference breakdowns just to kind of test the waters and see where our thinking was compared to others. So even though we don't have spicy takes purposely, we kind of found out that a few of ours might have been based on the results of the polls that we put out there after our rankings. And apparently, we're we're really sitting out there on an island with Dylan Gabriel in the top ten QBs for CFF. Um, so, you know, that, that's the take, I mean, that's as spicy as we can get is, you know, Dylan Gabriel is going to return to kind of top 10 college fantasy quarterback status. I think we've got him, you know, all the way up at eight and the number, even but there would, we most, I think he finished third when we did the poll on who's going to be the best quarterback in the big 12. So, um, that's when we saw, we were really out on an Island with Dylan Gabriel in our top 10 when like most people don't even have him as number one or two in the Big 12. They've got Daniels from Kansas and Plumlee from UCF, you know, either right there with him or slightly ahead of him. Um, but we're looking at the fact that, you know, he, he reached – last year we were, we were high on him also, and he didn't do horrible. He was 21 last year. Um, but, you know, that was his first year back from the injury and the first year back with Lebby, who we know he was with at UCF for a minute. But let's just not forget, you know, how well he did when he was at UCF. Uh, and he was like a 34 points per game quarterback. I think he finished first or second, uh, you know, that year, two years ago. Um, and he, he was everybody's number one in the preseason, you know, going into, it was 20 when he had 34 uh, points a game, 2020, 21s when he got hurt three games in, but when he got hurt, he had 34 points per game. Uh, so this is a guy who, you know, has produced, he won me in a championship in our home league, you know, when he had his phenomenal season in 2020, um, and he still had 25 last year. So we, we think it's just a small leap. Uh, and, and, you know, he's got the skill, you know, without a doubt, in our opinion, uh, to get back into that, you know, rare kind of 30 points per game category for quarterbacks. And, you know, we're not going to say he's top five, but but it seems like we're really out on an island, like I said, even having him back up in the top, top ten. So when everybody lets him drop to like round nine or ten, which is where he's going now um, – you know, we're happy to kind of scoop up and grab him a little earlier, even like the fifth or sixth round, just to make sure, you know, we still get him.
0: What uh, What do you think happens to Gabriel after this year? He does have one more year if he wants it. I'm not sure the arm and everything is yeah, quite at yeah. that NFL level. I I, I I go back and forth yeah, he on what seems,
2: I think he does. He seems a little small. I know that's changing now. You know, you don't necessarily have to be, you know, the 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", quarterback. You know, there's been enough guys prove that, that that's not, you know uh, – it's not going to make or break you. But, um, yeah, honestly, like, I don't know. I don't know. He's got that NFL talent. I know, again, it's you guys at the campus, the Canton guys, and they're always projecting, which I do very little of, to be honest. But, um, yeah, if I had to, you know, go out on a limb, I'd say, you know, he's, he's probably not built to be the best NFL quarterback. Um, you know, I'm not sure he can scramble and get around the corner and pick up 20 yards against any NFL team. You know, the way he can do it in college, when he just tucks it and runs, and you know, can still make something happen you know, at the collegiate level.
1: Great. Yeah, I mean, I love the Dylan Gabriel call there as well. I mean, we talked about him on the Big 12 uh, podcast a huge and Gabriel guy. Yeah. I, I yeah, I said I was like he was he was a fantasy stud for a yeah, couple he, of years, yeah, was. and you know, and I he think wasn't he horrible.
2: Did, he wasn't horrible last year.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he got banged up. That Oklahoma team was very up and down, all, all, right. like, just in general last year. If they can just kind of stabilize the play all year, and if he can stay right. healthy, uh, yeah, I I completely agree. I like that call for him being a top ten. And um, you know, uh, you're 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 been saying a lot of things that I like here. Yeah, this good, might be good, one of my good. favorite interviews we've done.
2: Good, thanks, appreciate it. And um, you got to also remember too, like there's always kind of that learning curve not necessarily for him because he was probably more familiar with levy than others but the, the whole team has to really embrace what levy brought and um you know and he really is in charge of that offense since venerables is a defensive-minded coach so you had an entire team trying to figure out a brand new system uh so you know it's all it always seems to be better in year two when you're talking about uh, a system like that
0: yeah yeah all right well jeremy at cff lists is the follow go ahead and hop over there check out what you guys have yep. What, you just finished up, you said, you know, all of your your positional rankings and everything on, yep. on Twitter and you've been posting those. Do you guys have anything planned for kind of these last couple of weeks up to the season? And then what do you guys kind of tend to post once the season rolls around?
2: Yeah, so now that we have just kind of posting kind of whatever we can come up with on the fly, uh, you know, we'll do that. But, um Really, we're gonna, we are going to we are going recycle some content that we posted like beginning in May and June, because we do realize that a lot of folks don't come around until the end of. You know, the, the biggest one next week, we're going to be reposting our thoughts on the um, all of the coaching changes that have happened. And instead of having to wait for us to post these conference every day, we'll probably, uh, you know, end up posting like the entire Power Five coaching changes on Monday with the G5 on Tuesday with our notes. And we've got kind of a nice little chart and one or two arrows up or one or two arrows down or a neutral sign, you know, about whether we think they're going to really improve in a certain area or really, you know, diminish in another uh, or stay about the same. Like we like in Purdue with Graham Harrell. Yeah, brome has gone, but, you know, we still think Purdue is going to stay about the same in terms of uh, maintaining that high level of, of a passing offense. So. We're going to recycle a little bit of content like that. It's also fun to redo some of the rankings. So we released our uh, top supplemental draft pick list, you know, way back in, in the end of May or early June, for the people that were just getting started. But we know there are still leagues like, you know, my home league starts, you know, tomorrow morning in our supplemental draft. So, um, you know, we'll update those based on how things have changed between May and June and now, uh, and, and put out an updated version of, of those types of rankings. Uh, so there's plenty of that to carry us over the next three weeks, which is all we have to wait now, thank God. And um, once the season starts, uh, we like to do a recap of kind of the perfect lineup, you know, every uh, Sunday night or every Sunday, I should say. Monday, we have a fun feature where we do a waiver draft. Um, it's myself, my partner, Willie B., and we invite two other uh, experts to uh, have a little four-man draft where we draft a five-person waiver-only uh, team for that week. And we just see who can outscore one another when it comes to the quarterback, two receivers, two running backs and tight ends that you pick. Uh, considering making that into kind of a, a recorded draft that, you know, we capture in 30 minutes because we don't do a podcast. We don't feel like we're unique enough with some of our takes to necessarily go out and, and put it over the airwaves. We think the list are sufficient. Uh, but the waiver draft is something that people really enjoy a lot those uh, guest pickers come on, we think can provide a good 30 minutes uh, show. So that'll be out on Mondays. And then we do our predictions on Wednesday of uh, out of the top players year to date, like our top 10 or top 20 list. You know, we decide like among myself and Willie B, you know, who are going to be the get- best guys that particular week out of the top 20 year to date at certain positions, uh, just to kind of narrow down the list we can pick from and then we know they're relevant players, you know, we, we make our predictions on who the best players are going to be that, you know, for the for the week in that way. And we try to keep up with injuries and post those Thursday, but we threw in the, the towel halfway through the season last year on that because it's almost impossible.
0: Yeah, it's uh, – it the, the, the injury stuff is just, yeah, yeah, yeah impossible yeah. to track. Yeah, yeah,
2: but impossible. somebody's – I know there's a, a couple of new accounts trying to do that uh, more thoroughly this year. Um, Might have even been the guys you just brought on, the winning edge guys um, mm-hmm. that are – have started a unique, uh, injury tracking account. So we look forward to following that and, uh, you know, you know, retweeting those when they come out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so. thank you, Jeremy, for hopping on here with us at CFF lists on Twitter. Um, and we're looking forward to, uh, talking with you again in the future. I'm sure.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. Uh, we'll, we'll run across each other quite a bit in these next three or four weeks online. I'm, Absolutely. Sure, I'm sure. All, All right. Thanks, Jeremy. thanks. All right.
1: Thanks, Jeremy.
0: all right Colin he uh you brought up a bunch of your guys he did he brought up a bunch of your guys which uh, that's what I said is one of my, my favorite times
1: yeah one of my favorite ones we've done
0: <laughs> yeah Hudson Cardin, Dylan Gabriel that's
1: uh that's a good day for Colin decker um I uh, just like that he backed me up that Dylan Gabriel was a CFF stud you know you uh you pushed back a little bit on that on the big 12 show but he was a CFF stud.
0: Yeah, they have what they said QB eight, the top ten for sure. Um, yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. A little, I don't do a projections. Probably a little rich for me, but um, but yeah, overall, I don't. Uh, I don't think that was crazy.
1: No, you know, it was a bold I, take. We asked for a bold take.
0: The, the concern for them, I think, is just going to be how good is the receiving group. We think it's going to bounce back this year. You know, they lose Marvin Mims, but with Farouk and yeah, maybe Andrel Anthony, maybe um, you know, one or two other guys step up there could could be interesting, but could. Uh, could be could be not so great as well. So be interesting to watch that there with Oklahoma. All right. Uh let's get into the Mac here. As always, we're going in alphabetical order. This is not how we project them for the year. So please don't get mad at us. Uh start and then actually we are going to sprinkle in some independence at the end of the show. Um, yes. Just uh, so so really Notre Dame. And there's one <laughs> UConn player that we're going to discuss. And that's it. UMass Army, sorry. We don't see any players on those rosters right now that we think you need to have On your team so akron uh pulling some info from uh the c2c winning edge here their power ranking across all of fbs 111th in the country in terms of just the talent on the roster uh their power ranking within the mac is eighth so this is a team that's a little further down the conference or at least expected to be this year but as you'll notice when we talk about a bunch of these teams a lot of them are really close to each other overall so really you know teams Four through nine, you can probably mix and match uh, in your projections for the year, uh, and and probably be in a reasonable range. Their quarterback, DJ Irons, um, a a dual threat guy, a guy who has struggled with consistency passing the ball a little bit, um, which has made projecting multiple receivers there on a week to week basis a little tricky. But there are a couple guys there we like as well. Irons is a guy that is available in. I think every supplemental draft I've done so far this year, except for one in that 20 teamer that we're in together, because I already had him rostered from last year. Uh, He's a, he's a really nice potential bi-week filler guy. You don't really want to start him in the non-con, but once you can start getting to those November, December games or, you know, late October, I I like him against some of these Mac defenses because of what he can do with his
1: legs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, last year he finishes the QB 54 um, and he was banged up a little bit here and there too. So, you know i think that it, he's a very fine quarterback to have at the end of your roster as a qb you know four QB 5 bye week fill in guy um you know especially if you are starting somebody like um i don't know let's say you're you're starting Kyle McCord and they get michigan that week you know you don't really want to start him so you throw DJ Irons in there lineup um DJ Irons is fine
0: Yeah, I think that's a a good way to put it. I expect closer to maybe a QB 40 finish uh, this year for him overall. Um, At running back, so I I think this is an interesting player, and he's not one that I've really been interested in this year, but Lorenzo Lingard, the running back, transfers in from...
1: Was he at Miami last or Florida? I want to say Florida last. I think he went Miami to Florida
0: ah uh, that sounds right they've had a bunch it's just so incestuous yeah. with like the transfer situation down in florida i swear yeah um transferred from one of those schools up here he's a he's a bigger boy you know uh, coming from uh major conference football down to akron could be a case as with we're going to talk about with alex adams here in a minute a guy that couldn't really that that was a little too high of a level for him but the mac is perfect he could thrive here he, he definitely could i'm not I don't have a strong leaning either way. You you put his name on here, Colin. Have you been drafting Lorenzo Lingard at all this year? He might be rostered in a lot of places too, just as a carryover.
1: Yeah, I think he's rostered in some places. I think I've drafted him like once, maybe twice. Um, I he's definitely a guy I'm interested in, though, because like you said, power five guy. He was like a pretty high four-star recruit when he came out. He was borderline five star, yeah. Yeah. He's battled some injuries. Uh, but if he can stay healthy, I think Akron is a level where he can really tear it up. And Joe Moorhead. Has a pretty good track record with uh, with running backs. Um, now, when he was at Penn State, obviously he had Saquon Barkley, but Saquon Barkley averaged twenty five and twenty one uh, fantasy points per game those two years. Uh, then he goes to Oregon, or no, then he goes to Mississippi State. Uh, he had eleven fantasy points the one year, but then followed it up with eighteen fantasy points per game from Kylan Hill. So that was pretty solid. Uh, When he was at Oregon as an offensive coordinator, they did pretty well, 20 and 13 fantasy points per game. So a little bit of fluctuations here and there, but overall pretty good track record with his RB1s. So given the whole context of that situation, the offense that he's in, his previous, you know, his talent level, the drop down to Akron, Lorenzo Lingard is a guy that I'm interested in. He, if I'm in a startup, I'm considering him in the last couple of rounds there. Uh, if I'm in a supplemental, and I feel like I need one more running back, I I would consider taking him in like the last round.
0: Yeah, you you could definitely do worse. Um, just hasn't been a name that I've been attracted to, and again, he tends to be rostered a lot of places if you mm-hmm. have had a leak for multiple years because uh, of his former recruiting pedigree. Wide receiver, I mentioned Alex Adams is a guy formerly of LSU, came down to Akron. Uh, Started off last season a little slow. He had a lot of games with good reception totals. Uh, uh, Five, he basically, the first few weeks of the season, he went two for 18 against St. Francis, PA, Um, but then went five catches, five catches, four catches, seven catches. But wasn't really racking up too much yardage. Really blew up the second half of the year once they got into MAC play. Kent State, nine for 201, went 10 for 115 and one against Miami of Ohio. Six one hundred two and one against Eastern Eastern Michigan, seven for one hundred and fifty and two against Northern Illinois, and seven for eighteen and one against Buffalo. So, really, the second half of the year volume and the, the explosiveness kind of synced up there together. Finished the year with eight hundred and fifty yards, nine touchdowns. I expect uh, a similar quality season, and honestly, I'm hoping that he can clean up some of that early part of the year. You know, I don't expect uh, him to necessarily always tear up the non-con because Akron plays a tougher schedule as do most of these max goals. But um, I I think expecting 65 to 75 catches, 800 to 950 ish yards. And, you know, maybe some slight touchdown regression there, five to seven touchdowns, I think would be a great season for him. I believe he's my most rostered player or close to it right now. Oh. This falls really, really far in supplementals. Um, and I like him as like, if I can get him and have him as like the wide receiver three on my team, I'm feeling really good about that wide receiver group. And that's generally where he sits for me.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think he's a, a really strong wide receiver three. If he's my wide receiver two, like I don't hate it. Cause I, I think he can honestly push for a thousand yards this year. Like you said, if he clings up the early part of that schedule, I don't see any reason why he couldn't push for a thousand yards this year. Um, and I think nine touchdowns is very repeatable for him as well. You know, they, it's a pretty consolidated target share between him and Daniel George guy. We'll talk about here in a moment, but the way Alex Adams finished that season, like you said, he scored in five straight games to end the year, hundred yards in four out of five. The only one he didn't was where he put up 18 in that last game. Uh, If they can keep DJ Irons healthy all year, you know, it's year two in that offense. They, they throw, they want to throw the ball a little bit. You know, they, they finished last year, fourth in neutral game script pass rate, which is a little bit on the high end for, Joe had traditionally yeah, I'd expect I just, that to regress a little bit yeah yeah but 54th and pace is pretty solid wouldn't surprise me if they push that a little bit more even so I, I like Alex Adams
0: and the non-con this year is actually not quite as bad as it was last year so last year they had St. Francis PA then they had Michigan State Tennessee and Liberty Ooh. Liberty you know whatever Um, they lost that game so I mean it, but and, you know not not a high quality defense but this year they get Temple Morgan State And then Kentucky, Indiana. So you figure those Kentucky, Indiana weeks. You're probably not psyched to start them, especially that Kentucky game. Kentucky Kentucky has a very good, yeah, back, back or front seven. At least I know for sure. Yeah. Um. So I
1: Indiana. I don't. That doesn't scare me.
0: That's an exploitable defense. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that that. Like you said, yeah, I don't know that that scares me. Um. And just looking at what Daniel George did last year as well. You know he had not that dissimilar of a stat line, 67 catches to to Adams' 63 or whatever, 793 yards. So they were within 60, 70 yards of each other. The real difference was the touchdowns. George only scored two touchdowns to Adams' nine. So if you're expecting Adams to regress a little bit, they, they might meet in the middle touchdown-wise. You know, get get six to eight touchdowns out of, out of each of them. Uh, I think that's a pretty realistic expectation. George, for anybody that doesn't know, by the way, a former Penn State kid, 6'2", 210-ish um, really really nice size sixth year in college so you know we're not talking NFL potential I don't think for either of these guys really uh, Adams could make a you know a camp or something just because former LSU but uh, I don't uh foresee any of that but I mean there's and George was pretty consistent last year too uh, and actually had a couple of games with 11 catches so volumes there he just touchdowns are what killed him last year. Yeah, and I don't think he's quite as explosive as
1: as Alex Adams, too, which um is why Adams is the more attractive option to me. Um so I but I, I think Daniel George Daniel George is definitely rosterable. I think he's very much a bench wide receiver. Once you get into action, if you get hit with some bye weeks, if you get hit with some tough matchups, you can put in Daniel George and you can do a lot worse.
0: It over to Ball State next up here. C two C Winning Edge has their FBS Power Ranking at 100th in the country, so a little ahead of Akron there, but not by a ton, and fifth in the MAC. Um, this is a very it's it's a weird roster because really yeah. the I think the most intriguing pieces are Marquez Cooper, their transfer running back, and then their tight ends, which is kind of a weird thing to say about a G five school like this. So let's actually start with the tight ends. Brady Hunt, Tanner Cazoyle. Uh We, I mean, they, they both had pretty good years last year. They're both top 10 or 12 in points per game or something like that. Um, uh, uh, Hunt is like a, th- a second or third year guy, and Kozoil was a true freshman last year, but played uh, a ton there for them. Um, so here's actually the thing on them. I've been really hesitant to draft either if I don't have them because I'm not sure if this offense will be okay passing the ball this year. And I just think they kind of eat into each other a little bit. And I'm not sure week to week, how good I feel about either of them going off. So I actually tend to not take either, but I do recognize that they're both pretty good college tight ends and they both should be rostered.
1: It's just not, a
0: direction that I te- tend to look when I'm in drafts this year.
1: Yeah. I mean, last year, Brady Hunt finishes the tight end 12 um, Tanner because cozy finished as the tight end 16. Okay, So yeah. So they were both, both pretty solid uh, for you last year. And the thing with, with ball state. So over the last seven years, their wide receiver one has averaged 16.5 fantasy points per game. And it's been very consistent. The lowest in that stretch was 15. They don't really have a wide receiver one on this roster. It seems like, like they're using the talent this year. They're using these tight ends as kind of their de facto wide receiver one. Um, and you kind of saw it last year where Brady Hunt finished with 12.5 fantasy points per game. And, and Cozy will finish with 10.9. So they're both like kind of hovering around there. So I do feel pretty good about both of these guys. I, get, I definitely get what you're saying where it might be a little bit of week-to-week fluctuation for sure. So, like, I probably don't want them as my starting tight end, but we've talked a little bit on here before, you know, the, the two different strategies. There's anchor tight end, and then there's kind of like a more scattershot approach. If I have one of these guys in like a group of like four tight ends uh, in a rotation, like I feel pretty good about that.
0: The nice thing is about Ball State, like a lot of these MAC teams, as you'll see, is you at least know the weeks that you want to play these guys and the weeks that yeah. you do not. Non-conference, their first two weeks of the season, they open with Kentucky and Georgia. I don't think you can start a single player on this list, uh, on this roster, in those two games. And then, you know, Indiana State, Georgia Southern, the week two weeks after that, now you're into the, the, the conference schedule and things start looking a little bit easier there for you. So... That does at least make things a little easier, you know. You can just sit those first two weeks, and then you you can kind of hope after that and mix and match uh, based on what maybe your other tight ends uh, have going on there. Let's jump to Cooper next, Marquez Cooper, who transfers over here from Kent State. Uh, smaller back, uh, sub 185 pounds for sure, but has handled a pretty decent workload in the MAC over the past couple of years. Had 241 carries uh, two years ago and 285. Last year, hasn't done a ton in the receiving game, but I do think he's capable 10 catches and eight catches uh, the past two years yeah. overall. And he's run, he's rushed over the past two years for over uh, 2,500 yards combined. So um, he, he's been very, very prolific. He's basically been G5 Deuce Vaughn over the past couple years, years, uh, more or less. So he's now with Ball State. Um, I do think that this is a solid spot for him, but I do, again, wonder... Is the he he's been with Sean Lewis the past couple of years as offensive coordinator or as his head coach? But yeah, I think calling the plays. Who's now the OC at Colorado? So a less inclined or or savvy or quite frankly, a, you know, a worse offensive coordinator offensive system <laughs> here at Ball State. Does he continue to put up? Uh, these kinds of numbers. I expect to see a dip. I still think he probably gets close to a thousand yards rushing, but I, I definitely uh, would not be shocked to see him finish under that. So I think the big questions for him is, can he see some more receiving work to kind of build up that floor? At least this is how I am viewing this. This just based on um, my knowledge. Again, I don't do projections um, for college football, but um, I will have my hands on the C2C winning edge projections here. Then the next week.
1: Um, and uh, hopefully they, they reinforce what I'm saying here. <laughs> I'm gonna look yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of tend to agree with you here as well. Like I think anybody looking at Marquez Cooper and seeing what he did at Kent state and seeing what Carson Steele did for ball state last year. And just thinking it's going to be a one for one comparison is going to be a little bit disappointed, not, not heavily, but a little bit disappointed last year. Carson Steele finished with, um, 24, roughly 24 fantasy points per game. Um, But Mike knew the head coach there over the last seven years, uh, his running backs have averaged 14.2 fantasy points per game. And if you remove that 24, which I know if you remove the best player, the best season, whatever, but if you do remove that, it drops pretty significantly. It drops to 12.6. So like 24, that was the last year was the only year that he had a running back score more than 20 uh, fantasy points per game. So they also a uh, 42nd in neutral game script pass rate. So they do tend to throw the ball a little bit more. 22nd um, in pace. So they are a little bit up tempo, which does help. Um, so I, I don't expect a bad year from Marquez Cooper. I'm just not expecting a year like he saw last year. And I'm not expecting a year like we saw out of Carson Steele at Ball State last year. So he's still going to be a, a fine running back for you. If he's my RB2, I feel okay. Uh, I feel a lot better if I can flex him honestly so i like cooper just don't quite love it
0: yeah Carson Steele if you go back and watch last year really created a lot for his own um through through missed force tackle so we'll see if cooper uh, can do the same thing but again obviously ranked pretty highly on most cFF lists for this year just because of the uh mass exodus of running backs from college football this year so um I, you know i'm not saying he's gonna be a bad player and I think he's gonna have a good season but uh, if he can get if he can actually hit you know 2025 20, receptions. That would be great. And that puts him back yeah. closer to what you kind of are hoping for out of him this year. Uh, the quarterback situation, we did just put a, a question mark down here, but it sounds like they actually might run a couple of guys out there depending on what they're doing. So I don't, I, I actually don't have any of these guys rostered, I believe, except for in extremely deep leagues. Lane Hatcher is projected to be the starter his final year of college eligibility. And then they have Kyle Kelly as well, who uh, was a true freshman or might have been his second year last year, but I think it was he, true. Um, but he, he's a, he's a younger guy. Um, he's played okay. Ceiling wise might offer a little more than Hatcher, but, but he's still a little inexperienced. I I don't feel great about either of these guys, quite frankly.
1: I don't either. I just, I know Kyle Kelly is somebody who, um, we have a couple people on, on staff at C2C who liked Kyle Kelly last year. They still are kind of, you know, floating his name around. His name's whispered in some CFF circles. So I think it's worth a mention. But it does sound like Lane Hatcher is going to be the starter. So if you're holding on to Kyle Kelly, I think he's cuttable, honestly. Um, I, I would not roster Kyle Kelly in a standard league. You want to talk about names that are whispered amongst our ranks. Every time a
0: new quarterback uh, entered the portal of this offseason <laughs> or running back, there were, there were hopes that they maybe would go to Bowling Green, uh, C2C, Winning Edge has them as the 126th power-ranked team in the country. a reminder, it's only 133 and uh, 12th in the MAC. So this is a team not expected to do particularly good or play particularly well uh, this year. But that doesn't mean they don't have anybody on the team that's interesting. Um, I guess we should probably start with Odoo Hilaire, who uh, is their leading returning receiver and was their leader last year. 58 catches, 747 yards, and six touchdowns. Um, Hilaire uh, has been around a while. He went the, the Juco route, I believe before he went to Bowling Green. So, uh, he's a little older than, um, his, uh, you know, stats, if you go look them up would indicate, um, we have heard some interesting information from some people who would know that, that some of the, uh, senior all-star games are interested in on Hilaire kind of have him on their preseason watch list. Probably not a senior bowl guy, but could be a shrine, um, or do they still do the hula bowl. Is that a thing?
1: um i don't know it's a good question one of the others no, by a, hulu oh the hulu Hulu boat opportunity
0: yeah that <laughs> sounds like something from um um uh oh, what's the show on netflix with the horse
1: oh bojack horse yeah
0: it sounds like something to be from bojack <laughs> if you've ever seen that the, okay the hugo's hulu Hulu bowl or something yeah um <laughs> Uh, I did not make that connection, but I like that. Yeah, i i could uh, I could see them doing that. But yeah, so Hilaire has gotten a little bit of hype. I'm pretty skeptical on that. He tends to be lower in my cues because I think upside is about what he did last year from a production standpoint, and maybe a sixth or seventh round guy. Like I'm not, I'm not blown away. But we have heard those rumors, so I thought I should at least share them here and let people do what they want with that information.
1: Yeah, H- Hilaire is a guy that I, I have in queues and. I haven't pulled the trigger on him in any yet. I do have him in at least one of our deep leagues. I think it's one of our 24 teamers I have him in. Uh, And in a league like that, definitely rosterable. In a standard league, probably fringe rosterable. But they do bring in um, Connor Bazelak at quarterback, who he went from Missouri to Indiana, and now he's at Bowling Green. So he's got plenty of starting experience. He's a power five, was a power five level quarterback. Like I think Bowling Green is a, probably a pretty good level for him. So like they should have pretty competent and stable quarterback play. Now I'm not rostering Basilac anywhere, but I think that helps Hilaire and a couple of the other receiving, well, the one other receiving option.
0: Yeah. And the other receiving option, as you just alluded to is Harold Fannin, who was kind of their second tight end last year behind Christian Sims, but Sims has moved on. And so, um now Fannin kind of steps in and should be the lead guy there um last year um overall for Fannon, they, they give him some rushing work which is really really interesting he, he's kind of um, um i don't want to say a hybrid guy but he's definitely versatile he had 10 rushes for 53 yards and four touchdowns they'll use him uh, in the red zone there and then 19 catches for 218 yards and a touchdown he's a pretty athletic guy overall um, not a guy that I have a ton of, but I think he's definitely should be on rosters. And I know some of the very smart folks here at Campus to Canton love him uh, as a deep guy. So, um, moral of the story, I think Han- Fannin is a really interesting guy. And if you, I think either tight end strategy works for him. If you went anchor and you just want like basically like one stash and then one other guy that probably is going to play this year and, and be a decent option that's cheap, I think he can fill that role. And if you're doing kind of the the four, five, six tight ends approach. I think he can fit in there and potentially be a guy that starts a handful of weeks for you this year. I agree. I like Fannin. I
1: have him in a, in a couple of different places. I've been drafting a, a lot of him this offseason. Um, I think I've taken him in like five or six drafts already uh, because the tight ends at Bowling Green historically do pretty well. Yeah, was it um, Scott Scri-
0: Luffler the head coach there? yeah yeah he Uh, he has a good track record yeah he
1: has a good track record of using the tight end well christian sims was the tight end one for them last year uh and he put up back-to-back years of 40 catches 400 yards now only two touchdowns so like that was really what held sims back but i think the the thing that was really appealing to Fannin for me is that goal line usage that you alluded to they use him around the goal line and they use him creatively they do use him on those rushes so I think his touchdown ceiling is higher than Sims was. So once you get into MAC play, I could definitely see him going for at the end of the year, like, you know, 40 to 50 catches, 400 to 500 yards, and six to eight touchdowns. And I think that's pretty solid. That's a great year. And you don't
0: have to, yeah, I don't think that's like an outrageous projection just based on past usage. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's the MAC. I mean, and he's a sophomore
1: too. You got a couple of years of him. Yeah. Yeah,
0: he, he's definitely an intriguing guy there. So Buffalo, I, I will be honest, there, there hasn't been a guy that's been interesting me uh, interesting to me on Buffalo for a number of reasons, even though they're supposed to be, at least according to the C2C winning edge stuff, they're the fourth uh, power ranked team in the MAC and then they're 97th nationally. The problem with them for our purposes is that they have a bunch of very competent running backs, so it's unlikely that any of them become the guy, which makes none of them startable on a week-to-week basis. And we don't think any of them are really NFL guys, or at least priority NFL guys at this point. So, makes rostering any of them uh, difficult. Ron Cook Jr. is supposed to be the starter. If you just want a name there, you, we'll, we'll give you that, but but not super interesting. And then the quarterbacks—I I don't think the passing game is going to be super strong here. So I'm not—I'm not really buying into any of the pieces of that. So moral of the story: I don't think there are any names here that you need to really be paying attention to. But I would just pay attention and see—you know—the running backs. And if the split does start to skew toward one guy early, maybe you become interested in them. But it's, it's tough to say right now.
1: Yeah, I got burned on the Buffalo running backs last year. I was in on Mike Washington. Big dude. I think he's like one, like 230, 220-ish, like right in that range. Ran, um, He's fast, too. But like you said, they just have enough other competent backs in Ron Cook and a Jay Henderson. Um, that they just kind of seem to spread the ball around a lot. So I'm not falling for that again. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, you won't get fooled won't get again. Fooled again. Um, the only guy that I think is even worth a mention here is Nick McMillan, the wide receiver for Buffalo. They've been raving about him all spring and volume pigs. Put out a, an article highlighting Nick McMillan and why he could be he could be good. Now I don't have him roster anywhere. I have not been pulling the trigger on him. I think he's just a watch list guy at this point. But you know, when when Volume Pigs mentions somebody's name, I, I pay attention. So I've been been putting him on watch lists.
0: Would it be cool if we could get him on here for one of these interviews at the beginning of the episodes? Volume Pigs, that would be cool, wouldn't it?
1: That would be pretty cool. Mm. I wonder if I wonder if we could make that happen.
0: Hmm. We'll have to see. We'll Have to see. They throw our weight around over there. I don't know. I might know a guy that, yeah, knows him. Um, All right. Central Michigan next up here. uh, C2C winning edge. FBS power ranking 107th in the country. Seventh in the MAC. So another one of these teams that's right smack in the middle there. Um, I think we'd feel it's a lot of platoon type (laughs) stuff right now. So it's like it's just really difficult to go all in. But I think if you're going shooting for some upside, then Bert Emanuel Jr. is the guy you probably want. Uh, At quarterback here, he was a true freshman last year. He came in in that first game of his, and he ran for over 200 yards, right? Yeah. Um, just totally, like, absolutely shocked everybody. Um, he's not great passing the ball right now, which is kind of the the big thing. Uh, completed, well, they only asked him to throw eight passes in four games, including that game where he ran for 293 yards. He threw three passes. <laughs> like it is like running the wildcat essentially with Bird Emanuel back there, but I mean, sure we don't care as long as he's if they're unleashing him like that every week. Then I, I do think he would need to develop a little more of a passing game to keep defenses honest. I mean, obviously your first game you're gonna catch some teams off guard. Uh, he was not as effective uh, in the, the subsequent games, so uh, I do think there's a lot of fantasy upside there. Um, but I also think there is a lot of chance for people to get uh to be disappointed uh, if teams have in fact figured him out. I mean, his last two games, he had 21 carries for 98 yards and he went 3 for 3 for 32 yards <laughs> and then the last game, 16 for 75, 16 rushes for 75 yards and he went 0 for 2 passing. I mean, it's not it hasn't been great in that regard for him.
1: Yeah, I think he's the type of guy that if you want to take a shot on him in like the last round of your draft, like I get it because of the upside there. But if I'm taking Bert Emanuel Jr., it's for it's expecting to get nothing. And if I get a CFF stud, then that's that's awesome. Um, But I'm not really expecting to get anything out of him. He's like the dollar store version of uh, Blake Hornsby right now. Where the oh, upside is huge. No. Dollar <laughs> store of Mulley Cornsby's risky. Yeah. I mean, he's upside is huge, but there's also a chance that he just gets you nothing.
0: Two running backs that they have there. It does seem like Marion Luke's is going to get the first crack of the starting job, but it could be a bit more of a rotation than maybe we've seen recently at Central Michigan, which I think was due in part to the talent that they had there and and maybe not necessarily coaching preference. So we'll We'll see exactly how that shakes out. But Lukes uh, was the guy that kind of filled in uh, when Lou Nichols was out as of late. Um, And then uh, Miles Bailey is the other guy. These are not two players I will admittedly say that I, I have not been super interested in just because I'm not sure, again, exactly how this plays out. And this offense isn't such a priority for me that I want to try to read the tea leaves. I would rather react and see if either of them end up on waivers week one, week two or something. And then pull the trigger there. If one of them ends
1: up uh, breaking out and they're
0: they're available,
1: yeah, I agree. These are it's so uh, Central Michigan last year was tenth in pace, so they ran a lot of plays. Seventy third in neutral game script pass rate, so they don't pass the ball a ton. So they're going to run the ball, but like you said, it, it, to open this topic, it's it's a lot of platoon work. So I do think Luke's and Bailey are probably going to split a good amount of work and if bird emmanuel jr is running for 293 yards how much of that's left over for marion luke's and miles bailey not a ton so i if you make me and i'm not gonna say the line mike say the line gonna say the line uh if you make me choose somebody it would be luke's but i i haven't been drafting him Again, like I said, it's like you said, it's something that I will react to if it turns out that Luke's starts to take over and he starts to look really good. uh, I'll pick him up. But, you know, for anybody who's trying to chase the the old um, uh, Lou Nichols stats, I, I mean, remember, like it was him and Kobe Lewis, too. Like, I think they want to run a rotation.
0: Yeah, I I I think so as well. Um Eastern Michigan next up here, uh C2C winning edge, uh FBS power ranking of one fifteen, Mac power ranking of nine. Um really so I uh, we put down uh Samson Evans and Tanner Knew here or new. I don't I actually don't know how you say it. it's K N say you're you new. <laughs> say you're new. Um but Samson <laughs> Evans is a guy that I have been drafting uh quite a bit of. Uh, there for Eastern Michigan at running back, and I, I have him in. I, I would, I do find starting him as like an RB two, quite frankly.
1: Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. I mean, he finished last year as the RB thirty, um, averaged eighteen point eight fantasy points per game. He had seven games over twenty fantasy points last year. So once you get into Mac play, uh, he's a stud. I mean, he's he's going to be a workhorse back. He's going to get a lot of that the work there and. Eastern Michigan was like they were decent last year, um, you know. So maybe they can be decent again this year and keep the game script, uh, you know, in in the running games favor. So yeah, I, Samson Evans is definitely a guy that I'm interested in. I've I've taken him in one or two places as well. Um, so I, I'm I'm f- totally fine if he's my RB two. Over
0: 250 touches last year and you know 15 rushing touchdowns. Hard hard to beat. Uh, those kind of volume numbers. And it doesn't seem like there's anybody that's really behind him. No. Uh, that's going to push him at least immediately for playing time. As I mentioned, the other guy here, Tanner knew that's how we're going to say it here uh, today. Um, last season for Eastern Michigan, 45 catches, 632 yards and nine touchdowns. This is another guy that maybe benefited a little bit from some uh, touchdown luck overall. Um, but they do lose Hassan Beydoun, who was kind of their other leading guy. So you could see a New benefit a little bit uh, from from his departure. But overall, not a guy that I'm really super high on. But I do think if you need a back end, just kind of guy that's going to produce for you this year on the bench, uh, you you could have him, and I, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't make
1: fun of you for it. Yeah, I think that's a good way to phrase it. You could rock, you could pick him. And I wouldn't laugh at your pick Um, because like you said, Bay Dune does, does leave. So it opens up more of the the work for, for new. So, you know, I don't hate it.
0: Fair enough. Uh, Kent state is next up here. Um, Kind of one of these bottom two teams here in the conference overall, 122nd FBS power ranking uh, and 11th in the Mac overall preseason one name here, and I'm not even interested in it. You put down Kai Thomas. Mm-hmm. He's been your guy for a bajillion years
1: now <laughs> at this point. So just just talk Kai Thomas for a minute, and then we'll we'll move on to the next program. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Kai Tom. The big thing with Kai Thomas is he needs to get a waiver because this is his uh, second transfer. Um, he has not, to the best of my knowledge, gotten that waiver yet. But there's been no news on that front, and they hand out waivers kind of like candy. So not I think anymore,
0: not anymore,
1: which leads me to believe that he might not get it. I don't know. We'll see. Um, it'll be interesting. But if he does get that waiver, I think he could have a really nice year at Kent State. Their new head coach is Kenny Burns, who is the former Minnesota running back coach, which was is that that's where the Kai Thomas connection is. Uh, they promoted Matt Johnson to offensive coordinator. He was on that staff before. So I, th- I expect this offense to be run heavy. Last year, they were 116th in neutral game script passing rate. I don't know. Who, they they got absolutely gutted this offseason. They lost um, Colin Schley, their quarterback. They lost both of the wide receivers and Dante Cephas and Devontae Walker. They lost Marquez Cooper, like we talked about earlier. Kai Thomas is the only guy on this offense, and they want to run the ball. So if he's out there, he's a guy that I like. Once we get into and play, because Kai Thomas looked pretty good when he when he got the ball at Minnesota. Um, you know he he looked decent last year at, at Kansas at times. So I think he he's uh, the type of guy who could do a lot of damage in the MAC. All right. Well, that's two minutes that I did not spend plan on talking Kent State <laughs> at all. So
0: now I got to take it out of Miami of Ohio's time. So you can take it up with their fans, and we have to take, we, we can only talk about them here uh, for a limited amount of time. Miami of Ohio, FBS Power Ranking of 94, and MAC Power Ranking of 3. thought it was notable that they return a ton of their production from last year, and that's really what makes the difference in some of these small conferences, especially the MAC. They return 71, uh, just over 71% of their total production overall on the roster, which is uh, 26th in the nation. So doing pretty well there. Uh, Brett Gabbert didn't play at all last year. Um, but he's supposed to be. I think he back. got in at
1: the very. I think you're in right. The very
0: last game, which I was just right. weird. I think you're right. Yeah, now that you yeah. say that, yeah, he played at the very, very end of the year. Um, it was like one he, game. But he, but he's back. Um, he is. Um, um, uh, his brother was the the former NFL QB, um, Gabbert. Yes, thank you. I was thinking Blake, and I knew that wasn't correct. So <laughs> You're
1: you were thinking Blake Bortles
0: and Blaine Gabbert. That's exactly what I did, yes, <laughs> yep. in my head, because they both were I've done that gag-wise. more than yep. once. Yep, 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 yep. We don't cover the NFL anymore, and that's like somebody on a stream of ours the other night was like, wow, you guys are really out of touch with the NFL or something. It's because all you guys just sit there and say round two draft capital like a bunch of jerks. But
1: um. No, he was saying that because uh, of the, the Raiders running back. Uh, Felix was like, oh, that running back for the Raiders, and I think the, the person who commented – thought we were talking about Josh Jacobs and we couldn't come up with that name, but that's a different story.
0: Um, so Gabbard and then his top receiver, Miles Marshall, and that's really all there is here. I'm not, I actually don't draft either of them. I'm not uh, uh, buying either. Uh, Marshall could be an interesting guy to pick up off waivers if he plays well, but I, I don't think he's worth the roster spot today personally.
1: i I disagree i think he is over the last three years miami of ohio's wide receiver ones have averaged 19.5 fantasy points per game um and i don't see any reason why miles marshall won't be kind of like a workhorse there um or like a volume a volume pig at wide receiver i was gonna say i was was waiting (laughs) for you to say um I, i think he'll get a pretty heavy target share and and if brett gabbard is behind center again like this offense is going to be they're, they're going to be better throwing the ball than they were with Avion Smith. I'm not exactly sure how you pronounce that, but um the offense will be better with Gabbard under setter will be more consistent. So I think Miles Marshall, once they get into Mac play, is gonna have some really nice weeks. So he is a guy that I would absolutely take in supplementals towards the back half of them, toward, you know, round 10, 11, 12. Um, I would absolutely take Miles Marshall. Okay. Um, would you take Gabbard? Um. Oh, no, I think I would wait. Gabbert's the type of guy that if I have like three injuries at quarterback and I go pick him up off of waivers, I'm like, it could be worse. But he doesn't. He, I think this is his last year of eligibility or pretty close. So there's not like any future value there. It's not a, he's not going to be a high end starter for you. Um, So. I would probably try to min-max my quarterback room a little bit more than that. But if I have him, I'd hold him. I think I have him in like our 20 teamer.
0: Yeah. I mean, once you start getting deeper, as we say all the time, and normally 12 teams, 45 man rosters that, you know, uh, things change a little bit there. Uh, Northern Illinois next here on the list. And they've got a couple of really interesting guys. Uh, FBS power ranking 105 in the country. And then Mac, power ranking sixth uh the running backs really so uh, they love to have at least two or three guys carrying the ball which is really annoying because this is a very prolific rushing attack generally speaking on a year-to-year basis and so if they would just even narrow it down to two guys that would be really really cool it does seem like they have fewer of those peripheral could could be annoying type players but just when, you know, they think you think you've got it figured out, they'll they'll twist some things on you here. So Ontario Brown, who I thought was going to have a huge year last year and, and it was kind of disappointing, uh, is supposed to be the lead back. They have Gavin Williams there as well, who comes in from Iowa. And then they, they do, I mean, they have other running backs on the roster. So the odds are one of those other guys probably gets involved a little bit. But it does seem like if there was going to be a year where there's some consolidated rush share in terms of touches, It would be this year. So I am cautiously optimistic if I still have a lot of Ontario Brown from last year, uh, which I do. I'm holding him because I think this could be a uh, this could kind of be the year that we were expecting. He doesn't catch a lot of passes, or at least hasn't so far. That's going to be his big downfall. But I think he can be very, very productive this year for the they're the Salukis, right? Which is Just like so fun to say. I
1: think so. Um, I know what's S. Siu. Oh, that
0: might be Siu. Yeah, or they have S-I-U. a dog on their
1: thing. They're the Huskies. They're the Huskies. Stupid. I want Salukis. Yeah, the Salukis. I think are Siu. Uh, which, if you're an Siu fan, they have that is so Siu apparel on home field apparel. They do. It's true. Damn. Um, but yeah, I, 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 Ontario Brown is still a guy that I'm interested in. I mean, in Northern Illinois last year, 119th in neutral game script pass rate. So, like you said, this is one of the most run-heavy teams in the country. Uh, they were slow-paced last year, 117th, which is not necessarily ideal. But they get Rocky Lombardi back at quarterback, so I think the offense will be a little bit better. Uh, and they also get their wide receiver back, who we'll talk about in a minute. So I think the offense, like, I think they'll be able to be more efficient on the ground game than they were last year. And the room does seem to thin out a little bit. It really is just Antario Brown and Gavin Williams. So I, I am not quite as high on Antario Brown as I was last year, but I do still like Antario Brown. Yeah.
0: Um, Trayvon Rudolph, the other guy here. Yeah. Trevion Randolph. I think Trayvon Rudolph <laughs> uh, has been forgotten because he didn't play at all last year, mm-hmm. but he was extremely explosive a couple of years ago Um, and they really don't have anybody else. Yeah. So, I mean, I think <laughs> if his knee is fine, he steps right back into that role.
1: Yeah. In 2021, the, the last year that um, Trayvon Rudolph played, played 14 games, caught 51 passes for 892 yards and seven touchdowns. So uh, he was pretty, Pretty explosive he averaged 17.49 yards per catch so definitely the type of guy that took took takes the top off the defense which is why i think him coming back and them having rocky lombardi is going to be good for the rushing attack and the efficiency of the rushing attack because you have defenses have to respect trayvon rudolph they there was nobody else on that roster last year in the receiving game that they needed to respect so I I, Trayvon Rudolph's an interesting name. He's not anybody that I'm drafting, but I think he helps the offense overall. And if you drafted him, another guy that I wouldn't laugh at you for. Uh,
0: Ohio next up here, uh, a really, really fun team because they bring back like everything from last year, specifically uh, offensively. They bring back 87% of their offensive production uh, across the board They have an FBS power ranking of 70 and a Mac power ranking of two. So that means the numbers expect them to finish second in the conference overall. And they've got guys at basically every position Tight tight ends, not a real position, but um, (laughs) quarterback running back and wide receiver. And we can start with Curtis Rourke, who uh, was incredibly productive last year before going down with a knee injury late in the season. He claims, and they claim that he is hundred percent healthy at this point. And in basically 10 games last year, he threw for 3,257 yards, 25 touchdowns, only four interceptions. Uh, completed almost 70 percent of his passes. Uh, was was very, very productive on pretty high volume. So, uh, moral of the story: if he's back and he is close to healthy, and he's not a guy that really is relying a ton on his legs anyway, so as long as it's just you know fine, then we're we're good. Um, then I, I I expect this offense to pick right back up where they left off last year before he got hurt.
1: Yeah, I completely agree, and and there the reports out of fall are that he is, like you said, fully healthy um, to start fall camp here. It sounds like he's out there with them, so I think this is. You know, I was a little bit concerned early in the off season because that is a pretty short turnaround for that knee injury, but he's not a mobile quarterback. Now the offensive line last year was not good; they were 102nd in line yards. They do bring four starters back though, so. This offensive line should be improved. Curtis Rourke last year was, in a points per game basis, was QB seventeen, the twenty-four fantasy points per game. So Rourke is absolutely a, a great target. Uh, again, you know, assuming health, I, I think he could be uh, a you know very very good starter for you
0: um see bangura at running back he uh was their leading guy last year i do think there's a little bit more risk here uh just based on who's returning than than is being necessarily discussed but i want to i want to get to that here in a second um bangura last season uh 222 carries 1078 rush yards 13 touchdowns and then he also had 27 receptions for 226 yards and a couple touchdowns there so uh, volume 250 ish touches, um, and, and gets receiving work as well. The big question for him is just going to be ocean Allison is back for a final year, which I don't know how many of us knew that he had. So I did not, <laughs> I, I think that could slightly dip into what he can do this year, but I still expect him to be very, very productive here in 2023.
1: Yeah, I expect him to be very productive as well. Um, I think that O'Shane Allison coming back is a little bit concerning um but even with that the I, I still think he'll be pretty solid uh, he just might not have the ceiling that we were expecting before but he'll be a solid running back for you um his speed winning edge has him you know projected for just 48 percent of the touch of the rushing touches but over a thousand yards and 10 touchdowns so i still think he'd be a, a really nice option for you and he has multiple years of eligibility which i know we talk about that you know not necessarily mattering that much but i think it does matter for these mac guys most of the time yeah we don't see a ton of them transfer out. And now I say that as we saw Carson Steele leave and we saw both of the wide receivers from Kent State leave. Yep. But that's a little abnormal.
0: Yeah, I I, I would agree with that overall. Uh, a wide receiver, the, the big name to know is Sam Wigless, who uh, last season 73 catches, 877 yards, and 11 touchdowns. Uh, former walk-on at Ohio State. Um, that that then went to Ohio and has found some success. Um, I I think if if Rourke is healthy, he because he he really dropped off after Rourke went down. Um, he's a top ten wide receiver, CFF option,
1: pretty easily. I, I really have no doubt about that. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, so I think Wiggles is Wiggle. We, we call him Wiggles um, <laughs> behind the scenes, so it's hard for me to to not call him that. Wiggles. Um, it is yeah a, a top-end CFF option, assuming Curtis Ruck's healthy, which it sounds like he is. So he's pretty much locked and loaded into your CFF lineups. the The more intriguing name to me is the wide receiver two, um, Jacoby Jones. So i I'll just be interested in what the consolidated target share is for uh, Wigless versus Jones. Um, Because this is a team that does like to throw the ball. They're 36th in neutral game script pass rate. So I think the volume is going to be there. And if Curtis works as good as we think he is, and this offense is going to be as good as we think it is, it could potentially support another wide receiver. So Jacoby Jones is a guy that I have an eye on at the end of drafts.
0: Yeah, and that 45 for 777 yards and six touchdowns uh, definitely Yeah, a a good year there last year for him. Um, Let's go over to Toledo. Uh, C2C winning edge uh, has them as the top ranked team uh, in the MAC and then the 56th overall ranked team uh, across the country. Again, due largely in part to the amount of returning production that they have. They're number seven in the country uh, at 77.4% of their uh, entire production from last year that comes back. uh, And number six in terms of offensive returning production so they're bringing back basically everybody that continuity can be really really big for some of these small schools daquan finn is their quarterback a guy that we all think can probably be a top uh, 10 12 15 qb this year pretty easily last season completed about 60 percent of his passes threw for 2269 yards 23 touchdowns and 12 interceptions, interceptions but ran for 632 yards and nine touchdowns as well so uh, he's definitely a dual threat guy. um I, I like Finn a lot, and I think he goes a little later than he probably should um because it's just such a weak schedule. And he has 600 to 800 yard rush upside, which I I just you know
1: love. Yeah, I mean, he finished last year as a QB 22 and a points per game basis, 23.8 fantasy points per game. Got banged up a little bit at the end of the year, so you know maybe that makes people kind of forget how good he was. Uh, early on in the maxion schedule, but yeah, Daquan Finn's absolutely a, I think he's like a borderline QB1, QB2 for you. Uh, if he's my QB2, I feel fantastic. If he's my QB1, I still feel like okay. Uh, so I, I do like uh, Daquan Finn there as well.
0: The other guy that I think is really the only other one that I'm I'm super interested in rostering rostering on this Toledo team, which is funny to say because you know, as we just said, they're they're projected to do pretty well this year, um, but they they definitely have a kind of um, uh, even spread at the the skill positions, and then their their second receiver from last year transferred out. So really, Jerwan Newton is the only guy uh, that we have on the radar for now: fifty three catches, eight hundred thirty yards, and nine touchdowns. Um, and I think he's definitely a guy that, that is rosterable at this stage.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely think he's rosterable too. Uh, I mean, he, last year he finished as a wide receiver 97 on a points per game basis, which feels a little low, but it, like you said, the, it's mostly because the, the 53 receptions, like the yardage and touchdown totals were solid, so 88, um, 830 yards, nine touchdowns. Like you said, so it's just pretty like a higher average. Uh, in terms of catch per or yards per catch. So, you know, I, I think he's he's solid. If he can get a little bit more volume with um, Blankham C transferring out, then I think that that's even better for him. But ev- even as it is, still rosterable.
0: Last team here in the MAC is Western Michigan, and they are 120th power ranked team in the country, 10th overall in the MAC. And a lot of players on here that we're super interested in, and I I don't, I don't personally have one. Do you have any column that you have kind of circled as making cues? Even like, I don't even have guys that I'm putting in cues right now. The only guy that
1: I put in a queue is Keyshawn King, the Virginia Tech transfer. I've never pulled the trigger yet, but you know, it's a P5 to G5 transfer at the running back position. Um, you know, so you could do worse, I think. There's some potential upside there if he, you know, once he gets into MAC play, but not a guy that I have rostered anywhere. Not a guy that I'm super excited about. So um, that's Keyshawn King is literally the only name.
0: Um, Notre Dame. Let's get into the independents here. Notre Dame, there's only four independents now. A couple of them found new homes this offseason BYU, Liberty, uh, New Mexico State. Amongst them, uh, Notre Dame has an FBS power ranking of seven. So, you know, projected to be a top 10 team this year across all of college football and plenty of names here that you guys probably know. Let's start at the quarterback with Sam Hartman, transfers in from Wake Forest. I expect a good year. I expect it to probably be a little down from his past couple of years, if I had to guess, just based on the change in system. Uh, and we're not 100% sure about the receivers yet. So, but definitely rosterable and a guy that. Uh, I would probably feel comfortable as my third QB on a roster, but I don't know that I want to start him at least until I see exactly what they're working with there this year.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Sam Hartman's numbers last year at Wake Forest and even the year year before that were uh, pretty ridiculous, but this is a completely different offense. It's going to be more pro style. It's going to be slower. They're 109th in neutral game script pass rate. They're 98th in pace. Marcus Freeman's the head coach. He's a defensive minded guy. So, it's a little bit more of a, you know, slow the, slow the game down, lean on our run game, lean on our defense type of a uh, philosophy there. So, I think that's going to lead to Sam Hartman not being startable most weeks. And Notre Dame traditionally does play a pretty difficult schedule. I mean, they get USC every year, they have Florida State every year. Um, they have a couple other rivalry games they get every year. So, traditionally, a pretty difficult schedule on a team that is going to want to run the ball. Um, so I'm not overly interested in Sam Hartman as a college option for me. Again, at least until, like you said, until we see it. But I think if he can operate the Notre Dame pro style system well, uh, he is a guy that I could see here in his name called on like, you know, round six, round seven of the NFL draft. Um, so if, if that's something you value, Sure. But at this point, I think he carries more name cachet than actual value.
0: Uh, What about Kenny Minchie? I think we had this discussion recently on the show. Or was, was that on the QB <laughs> Summit? I don't remember. It's too many shows now.
1: I'm uh, pretty sure it was on the QB Summit. And you were like, I don't think I've ever heard you talk about Kenny Minchie before. Um, but, yeah, no, I Kenny Minchie is a guy that I am interested in. He's you know, a, a new ball of clay that can be molded. And I think he's got some interesting tools. I think he's a very, um, very smart, very calm and poised quarterback, which I like that a lot. And Sam Hartman, this is his last year of eligibility. We're like 99.9% sure of that. They don't have anybody else really on the roster. It's like Steve Angeli. And then they're bringing in CJ Carr next year. Who's not our recruiting team's not a a huge fan of CJ Carr. So it's a pretty barren depth chart after Sam Hartman leaves. They'll probably bring in a vet transfer, but I think Kenny Minchie could win this job. And I think he has, he's got some, he intrigues me for the NFL level. So I, I do like Kenny Minchie. I think he's being slept on a little bit right now in terms of a future prospect.
0: The running back room, I think there's two guys that are definitely guys that I'm targeting in drafts. Audrick Estime um, and Jeremiah Love. And Estime, I think both are more for what they can do for me in college. I don't feel great about the NFL projection. I think Estime definitely gets there just because some NFL teams going to like that he's a, a kind of a big bruising back. But I, I just don't think there's enough juice there for him to really be a high-end NFL guy. But because of how thin this running back room is this year, there is legitimate thousand yard upside here, legitimate 10 touchdown upside. I like I just you kind of have to carry him kicking and screaming to to those totals. <laughs> like he's not going to create a ton for himself. But if you put him in situations to succeed, he can do it.
1: Yeah, I think a thousand yards and ten touchdowns is the expectation, honestly. I mean, last year he was their leading rusher. 156 carries 920 yards and 11 touchdowns. So they lose 165 carries from Logan Diggs, and they lose hundred carries from Chris Tyree. Now I, you know, Chris Tyree might still get some carries cause he's kind of a, he's moving to wide receiver, but he's still more gadgety. So I could see them using him out of the backfield still some, but, There's a lot of open carries there. I think Audrey Estime is probably looking at like 200 carries, a little over a 1,000 yards, 10 to 12 touchdowns. Last year he had nine catches for 135 yards and a touchdown. I think that's probably about what you'd be looking at again this year. I don't expect him to do much in the passing game. But like you said, you have to carry him kicking and screaming, but I think he's going to get there and he's going to be valuable for your college side.
0: Love is kind of the other guy that possibly factors into the equation here because Logan Diggs transferred out. He's now at LSU. Chris Tyree, former running back. Now it sounds like he's with the wide receivers. I, I guess my assumption is full time. We'll see if that lasts through the season or if they end up needing someone to eat a few snaps in the backfield. But they really don't have a lot else there. Jadarian Price is coming back from a torn Achilles. And then Jabran Payne, who, as I've said many times on the show, is probably an FBS-level running back, but he is not a Notre Dame-level player. Uh, by any stretch of the imagination. So Love, just by default, might see the field quite a bit this year, uh, more than we would have expected for a true freshman. This is a guy that is explosive. If he can get to the edge, he's very, very dangerous, not very physical at all, um, and and a pretty good pass catcher as well. So if they want to use Estimate really more is getting a ton of the the carries and then Love getting 25, 30 receptions, I could see that being how this backfield shakes out. Um, and love does tends, tends to go pretty cheap uh, yeah. in in drafts, and I'm not. I think there are some serious question marks about his, like he plays with zero physicality whatsoever. But he is a very good athlete, and he can catch the ball. He's in Notre Dame. I think he should get a little more respect than what he's getting right now.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think he's pretty much the antithesis of of uh, Estime, so they'll probably complement them each other pretty well.
0: Uh, do you want to talk anymore on pain or I mean, price? I feel, I feel bad. Price <laughs> looked really good last year and then sort of suffered that Achilles. So I might be more interested in him next year, but not, uh, not, not the year coming off that Achilles injury.
1: No, definitely not coming off of the Achilles injury. It's difficult for any athlete to come back from an Achilles injury. Running backs also very difficult. Um, and as far as Jabran pain goes, um, I know I've, I've mentioned him once or twice as, as a guy to, to keep an eye on. I think his main appeal comes from if something happens to Audric Estime, they're not just going to turn around and hand, you know, 150 carries to Jeremiah Love, you know, or, or 15 carries a game to Jeremiah Love. So Jabran Payne would have to step in. So not a guy that I would roster, but I would keep an eye on him. If something happens to Estime, I'm probably going to pick him up right away.
0: The wide receiver room, I think, is um, has a lot of uh, intriguing guys, but uh, honestly, really outside of Jaden Greathouse, who I'm not even completely in love with, um, is, is full of a lot of question marks. Let's start with Greathouse, the true freshman. Had that big spring game over 100 yards receiving in it. Um, we have some questions about his uh, athletic ability for long-term NFL success, but I do think in college here, he can be pretty good. I think expecting him to be a startable CFF option here as a true freshman, I think is risky. And I do see some over optimism based on how that spring game went with him. So I do think we need to calm that down a little bit. There are still some other guys there that I think are going to factor in, but I do like great house long-term, especially if they can figure out the future of this QB position, which could be Minchie could be a transfer. I don't exactly know. I don't think it's CJ Carr, at least not immediately starting next year, the the five-star that they have uh, signed on for the following year. So uh, int- interesting player, and I do like him. I just don't want to be expecting too much early and get burnt thinking that he can be a guy for me this year, and, and he ends up fading a little bit.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I think Jayden, the Jaden Greathouse hype is starting to get maybe a little bit too much. I think he's actually probably a sell right now, and that is – you know, coming from somebody I do like, Jaden Greathouse, I think I have him ranked right around, like, wide receiver 30. Um, you know, I I think there's there's some really nice potential there. I worry a little bit about him athletically. We've talked about that before. I, I think athletically he's, like, near the David Bell mold. Um, but the thing that really helped David Bell was the offensive system, and we're not going to s- see that at Notre Dame. So he's not going to get peppered with, with uh, a ton of volume. A couple other names there um, that we can get to in a second here. So I agree with you. It's a risky proposition to rely on him to be to get any sort of fantasy starting production from Jaden Greathouse for you this year. And I think if that happens, uh, his value will dip a little bit from where it is now. So I would not mind selling him and then buying next offseason.
0: Uh, the other names there, I mean, let's talk Tobias Merriweather before we drop into the other true freshmen who seem to be getting some newsworthy tidbits out of camps. Uh Tobias Merriweather, who missed a lot of last season uh, with injuries, a second year receiver there. Um, I mean, I don't really have strong thoughts on him. He's a year one zero. So if we're talking future NFL success, very, very questionable, Um, but could be a guy that that produces there over the next couple of years for Notre Dame, so I don't want to write him off completely. But I'm, he's not a priority target for me. Let's say
1: I'm not really interested in Tobias Merriweather at all, or like rostering him. I think Tobias Merriweather is just good enough to be a thorn in the side of like Jaden Greathouse, and siphon off just enough of that already limited uh, passing volume. So I don't really want to roster Merriweather, but he's, he is decent enough to be annoying.
0: Other guys there, Rico Flores, who apparently has been getting some decent hype out of camp. I actually hadn't really been looking into Notre Dame reports, but I believe they are on campus already. And it sounds like he's been making some buzz. And then Braylon James, who had a couple of uh, big plays. He's more of an explosive downfield guy. Um, I'm not ready to roster either yet, but both four-star freshmen, um, and I, I have a feeling you're getting a little bit of buzz about them just because of the general lack of depth or skill remaining in that wide receiver room. It's really been, has not been built up properly over the past few years. Um, so I think the argument for them is that, you know, there's not a lot there. Maybe they can play. I think the argument against is much like I talked about with Malik McLean when he was a true freshman at FSU Mm -hmm. and kind of had that, that year there. They feel like the kind that the the quality of player where if this team is actually on an upward trajectory in terms of building up the wide receiver room, they get recruited over or or transferred in over fairly quickly. That's exactly what happened with McLean, and I kind of feel similarly about that Flores and James being that level of player.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think James, like you said, he's more of the explosive option. I could see him sticking and just being like a more downfield. Like field stretcher type guy. I think he serves a role there. It's just never going to be one that you really all that interested in for fantasy production. Um, and you know, I, I agree with you on Flores though. It feels like they bring in somebody next year, but their wide receiver room said there's a dearth of talent there. There was not anybody last year. Michael Mayer was their leading receiver at tight end. He's gone. Somebody has to step in, you know, Maybe it ends up being great house, but I think it's going to be spattered around. So I think Rico Flores and Braylon James will break the year one zero mold, which might get them a little bit of hype next year. So I understand rostering them. I just don't have them rostered personally.
0: Uh, the only other that we mentioned him earlier, Chris Tyree, I don't know what to expect from the wide receiver experiment with him. He's very easy, extremely fast. Um, can he play wide receiver? Remains to be seen. So, going to be an interesting guy to watch, monitor. If I have him on a roster, probably have held through the off season. But if I don't, I'm not actively acquiring at this stage. Any tight ends on the roster that are interesting to you? I hear, it feels like every tight end on their roster has a a guy that, you know, somebody out there that is hyping them up. Um, but I, uh, and, and it's not necessarily a bad decision because Notre Dame has been a, um, Pretty reliable source of, of tight end uh, production in college, and then into the NFL. You're talking about me guys like Mitchell Evans, um, uh, uh, Kevin Bauman, Eli Raridan. Those are kind of the names you hear uh, thrown around a little bit.
1: I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, Mitchell Evans. It was more of like a blocking tight end last year, as like the complement to Michael Mayer. So. Evans is going to be on the field. I think he'll get first shot at the, you know, receiving role as well. But I'm not all that interested in him. Eli Raritan's a guy that I liked last year, but he got injured twice, I believe last year. I think he had two knee injuries. So, not a guy that I'm all, you know, I'll watch it. I'll keep an eye on him and if he starts getting a lot of touches or he starts, you know, getting a lot of snaps, then I might reassess and I might try and pick him up if he's available, but I don't really want to take the risk on a tight end that with the knee injuries that he has. So nobody here that I'm really rostering in this tight end room, despite the previous uh, production out of this room. I just think that Notre Dame over the past couple of cycles has done a pretty poor job recruiting at the skill positions. The wide receivers this year might be might might buck that trend a little bit because there's some intrigue there. But overall, just not great at the skill positions.
0: Yeah, and they uh, they have a couple four stars I think signed up for next year too. But I best I can recall, neither guy I'm super excited about um, at this stage. So a um, couple other independents here, real quick: Army and UMass. Again, we said no players from these teams that we currently think should even be on your radar. Uh, UMass is 130th overall. Uh, an FBS power ranking according to C2C winning edge. Army is 109th. Army is a you know rush-heavy triple
1: option service academy, and UMass is UMass. UConn. Well, the thing, the only thing I'll say about Army, uh, and I got this directly out of the CFF guide, um, Chris Moxley wrote this one up. He seems to be at least mildly intrigued by by their new offensive coordinator. It sounds like they're going to switch to more of a shotgun option style offense than like the old school triple option that they had been running so i couldn't tell you anybody on this roster but just reading off of the cff guide i do trust our cff team a lot um so maybe the quarterback is somebody to keep an eye on
0: um yeah and then so yukon i mean so you put down a couple names here i'm i'm putting my foot down no victor rosa is the only name we're going to talk about here no
1: okay no that's fine
0: bad bad
1: that's hey that's fine um I was just going to say there's a, t- a quarterback battle. We don't know who it's going to be. Um, and the tight end is somebody Chris Moxley highlighted in the CFF guide as well. Justin Jolly, not a game I've I said I've heard no. anywhere before.
0: I said, no, stop, <laughs> stop it.
1: <laughs> so I just wanted to say that name. If I had a newspaper, I'd be popping on the nose with it right now. And <laughs> we were, if we were sitting together. Victor Rosa, on the other hand, the running back. I actually think is an interesting option here. He finished the year pretty strong. Um, Last four games, 20.7, 18.2, 17.1, and 19.5 fantasy points. Uh, He was very touchdown dependent, but I think he's going to be pretty much the whole offense. Um, They had Nathan Carter. Uh, He transferred out to Michigan State, but he started off the year hot last year, 21 and 21.1. Uh, fantasy points, back-to-back 100-yard games. He got banged up in the middle of the year, and that's why Rosa came in and finished. So this is an offense that's going to run the ball. And something that I found really interesting as I was looking into this, the last two weeks of the season, UConn gets Sacred Heart University in, I, I don't remember if it's Connecticut or Massachusetts, but it's like an FCS school, and UMass, who we just said is like the 130th ranked FBS power rating team. So that's a soft playoff schedule for rosa yeah
0: <laughs> I, I i haven't watched rosa at all actually outside of a few clips and some people that i i respect have said that he's intriguing as like a long-term maybe potential low end Devi option uh, i don't really know so um this makes me think of brooklyn 99 when we talk
1: rosa, about it. Rosa, rosa 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 Wondering if that's where you would go to. Yes. Yeah. I mm-hmm. didn't
0: wonder. I'm worried if I just did that without a, a 9 9 uh, saying 9 9, that, that people would get the reference. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. All right. Well, that is going to do it, guys. We made it through the entirety of the Mac here in the Independence. Again, go out, check, check out campusdecanton.com with the season coming up. We are really starting to fire on all cylinders over there. Be on the lookout uh, for all the other shows across the C2C uh, podcast channel, including the CFB Winning Edge podcast, which is now on our feed, uh, should be up here in the next couple of days. Um, And obviously be back next week with us as we do another episode here of Campus Life Conference Preview Edition. Until then, I'm Austin.
1: And this is Colin.
2: Have a good one.